Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Pick up that glass of Pinot Grigio, your drink of choice, and come have some fun with us on Turtle Time. We're going to do more than just drink and party on this podcast, Mom. I know, I know. Okay, if you don't know who I am, well, I'm Ramona Singer, and that's my daughter, Avery. And you probably know us best from the Real Housewives of New York. And now you'll get to know us even better on our podcast, Turtle Time. Let's make more iconic moments together. Every Wednesday, it's Turtle Time. Follow, rate, and review now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of the True Crime All the Time Unsolved Podcast. I'm Mike Ferguson, and with me, as always, is my partner in true crime, Mike Gibson. Gibby, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's been a rough week. We lost um, our oldest dog, Bodie, and uh, that's been really tough on the family. It has. Everybody listening who's gone through that knows exactly how tough that is, but uh, you got to go on, man. You got to go on. But we're all thinking of you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of fans will reach out and it'll be touching. It always is. They do when anything happens to to you or I. Let's go ahead and give our Patreon shout outs. We had Dave McMullen. Hey, McMullen. Terry Justice. What's up, Justice? Maria Lucas jumped out at our highest level. I think it's Lucas. It could be. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to make it fancy, I guess. Maybe. You, you are a fancy kind of guy. <laughs> Pierce Franklin. Hey, Franklin. Amy Colombo. What's going on, Colombo? Nagy Esther. Ooh, Esther. Victoria H. Hey, H. Heather. What's going on, Heather? Lissa Armour jumped out at our highest level. Well, you're awesome, Armour. Basilio Gallo. Gallo Wines. That's fun to say. Yeah. J.H. What's going on, H? Rachel jumped out at our highest level. Thanks, Rachel. Christine Akey. Hey, there's Akey. Grounded Tarot. Well, thank you, Grounded. Annie and Jason Dillon. Oh, thank you, Annie and Jason. Selena. Well, appreciate that, Selena. Summer Connors. Hey, Connors. Jeannie Ote. Oh, you're okay, Jeannie. (laughs) (laughs) Jeannie, are you okay? Uh, Kelly Hogue jumped out at our highest level. Awesome, Hogue. And last but not least, Anna chambers thank you chambers and then if we go back into the vault this week we selected uh lisa sangalang hey there's lisa yeah appreciate all the support we also had a great paypal donation from Teresa fisher well Teresa, that's awesome so right now on true crime all the time we have an episode out on melissa mcmanus um I, this is a heck of a story it's heartbreaking but you know this uh, was a 16 year old girl who murdered her infant son yeah 
Now the story's murky because she told so many different stories. She did. She did it. She didn't do it. She wasn't even pregnant. She had accomplices who actually did it. I think there was like five different. Uh, at least. Yeah. At least. But that episode's out. Make sure you uh, you listen. All right, buddy. Are you ready to get into this episode of True Crime All the Time Unsolved? I'm ready. We are talking about the disappearance of Lee Cutler on the morning of October 20th, 2007. Lee Cutler dropped a friend off after spending the night with a group of friends. He was seen by an employee at a local gas station. Two days later, his car was found almost 200 miles away from home near Baraboo, Wisconsin. But Lee was nowhere to be found. Lee Sterling Cutler was born on October 2nd, 1989. He was just 18 when he went missing. And if he's still alive today, he would be 33 years old. Lee was a senior in high school at the time of his disappearance. He lived with his mom and stepfather, Beth and Barry Frazen, in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Been there. Have you? Yeah. Buffalo Grove. I have. I've never even heard of it. Yep. I've been to Chicago a number of times, and I've been to some of the suburbs, but uh, not Buffalo Grove. Barry passed away on August 28, 2008, according to Find a Grave. Lee also had a brother and a stepsister. His biological father is Daniel Cutler. According to a 2007 article in the Chicago Tribune, Lee was dating a girl named Autumn Rizzio, but one of Lee's friends later told the police that the two had recently broken up before Lee went missing. Autumn described Lee as someone who wanted to make others happy. Lee was the kind of person who would always show up for his friends when they were having a hard time, but he had difficulty sharing his own struggles. Not surprised to hear something like that, right? A lot of the people that show up for others have that problem of not being able to reach out for help back. Yeah. 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 I get that. And it was documented that Lee dealt with mental health issues throughout high school. He first showed signs of suicidal tendencies a year and a half before his disappearance. Beth believes this was due to his relationship with his first girlfriend. Lee met his girlfriend when she was a junior and he was a freshman. As she was preparing for college, she told Lee that she wanted him to come visit her and expressed her desire to marry him. Lee told her, he wouldn't be able to visit often because he was in school. He ended the relationship, but was very affected by the breakup. And I think we all get hit pretty hard from our first true love uh, relationship breakup. It's, it's, it can be difficult navigating through that. Well, it's, it's something you and I have touched on in the past. You know, when you're 15, 16 years old, yeah. everything seems so magnified. Right. Every situation, every thing that happens to you in life, a lot of times seems like the end of the world, the, sure. the biggest thing that's ever going to happen. Well, obviously it's not because you're going to have a lot bigger trials and tribulations as you get older. We've all experienced that, but you can't tell a 16 year old that. No, you can't. I mean, I know when I was 16, I didn't listen to my parents when no. they say, don't worry. It gets better. You're going to be fine. I told my kids that, you know. It doesn't matter. But you just have to go through it. Because in the mind of a 15, 16, 17-year-old, it's devastation. Yeah. yeah. You know? Now, I'm not saying everyone, but I think to a lot of them. And especially around 
love and and the loss of that uh, type of relationship, like you said, it hits very hard. It does. And sometimes that relationship is like a month old. You know, to me, that's the the part that doesn't quite make sense, but you can't make sense sometimes of a young person's it's true. brain. They're like, you only been going out with that guy or girl for four weeks. What are you, what are you crying over? But that was the one that was the one. Yeah. You know, in that person's mind, that was the one Lee brought a knife to school and threatened to end his life. He was taken to the hospital that day. He told his mother that he wanted to go home, but she told him he couldn't because she didn't know if he would hurt himself. And I've never been in this exact situation, but I could understand his mother making this decision. I get it. You want to come home. Sure. But I'm not comfortable with that. I need medical trained, uh, trained personnel to watch over you. Tough decision for a parent, right? Yeah. But the right decision. Lee eventually left the hospital and he continued seeing a therapist, but Beth felt like he was just going along with the therapy and not fully participating in it. She didn't think being hospitalized was beneficial for Lee because it made him fearful of going back. If you know, he had a relapse or or another incident, Lee's family felt like he became more reserved and secretive after this incident happened. So, you know, we just said probably the right decision. And I, I still think that's true, but now you have, you know, a little bit more information. Okay. Is he not going to open up and share what he's going through because he doesn't want to be put back in that situation where he's hospitalized. And it sounds like he didn't want to go to therapy, but had to, and just kind of went through the motions. And that's, that's always that fear for a parent that does that, right? What if because of my actions by not allowing him to come home when he wanted to, he's going to bottle it up, not want to tell me anymore in fear that I'm going to turn around and put him back in. And then what could happen at that time? There's no way to know as yeah. a parent in the moment that you're making a decision, a, if it's right or wrong or B what ramifications that decision could possibly have in the future. There's just not always a way to know all that stuff. I think if I had to guess her only thought at that time was I want to make sure my son stays alive. We can deal with the, the ramifications uh, later. Lee was a good student and he was an active leader in the B'nai B'rith youth organization abbreviated as BBYO. BBYO is a movement for Jewish teenagers. Lee founded his local chapter and acted as president. He spent a lot of his time planning activities for the organization. His family has said that his religion was very important to him. People also saw a different side of Lee at BBYO, where he wasn't as reserved and quiet as he usually was. You were always the local president and a member of your own club here where you live. The hair club for men. I didn't want to say that. Oh, okay. But I knew that's where you were going. Yeah. But you know, I want to talk about him in this role. It sounds like this maybe brought out the best side of him, meaning he felt fulfilled, you know, while he was doing this. And so he wasn't 
reserved. He was, you know, talking with everyone and because he enjoyed it. You know, sometimes when you have purpose. Yes. It really helps drive your life, you know? Yes. I I found that out the hard way. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Some of Lee's other hobbies were hiking and writing. It was said that he loved being outdoors and he used writing as an outlet to express his feelings. And I know so many people do that. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people keep journals and, and things like that. I've never done that. Really? I've never been the type of person to write my feelings down. Um, I probably should. I mean, I wish I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I actually wish I was that type of person. I'm much more likely to tell somebody and and maybe that's just the, the difference between some people, some people, they don't want to tell others what their struggles are, but it's easy for them to write them down. And maybe that's therapeutic. Um, You know, I, I would always talk with, you know, my parents or my friends and now my wife, even my kids. Sometimes I tell them what I'm going through. I mean, as a teenager, I, I wrote a lot of stuff down, mm-hmm. and I wrote songs about what I was going through. Also, the problem was, when I went back to read what I wrote, I didn't understand one word. Mm, shocking. Yeah, I know. Shocking. I was like, what was I? Especially, what? you know, some of that stuff that happened in Illinois, that probably didn't make any sense. Well, that's true. I mean, my cousins tried. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Beth Frazen told the Chicago Tribune that Lee was going through a lot of stress for someone his age. Like many teenagers, Lee didn't know what he wanted to do after graduation. He wasn't sure if he wanted to go to college. He considered moving to Israel or studying abroad. I always wanted to study abroad. Just throwing that out there. Okay. Yeah. I thought I'd been... I'm surprised you didn't with all the academic uh, accomplishments you have. You know, Oxford, You know some of the the most prestigious academic institutions outside of this country, I would have thought would have been clamoring. Well, they were. I mean, we did services. The, we did the mail service um, courses with them where they sent me all the material in the mail and I went ahead and knocked it all out, sent it back. And sent it home. back. Yeah. They sent you a diploma. They did. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to go back and talk about stress because this is something that, you know, I've dealt with, with my children as a teenager. There can be quite a bit of stress. You know, you don't think about it. You think about stress is, well, I've got a job. I have a family. I've got to put food on the table. I've got rent. Well, there's a different type of stress for teenagers. Sure. You know, social stress that I don't have to deal with because I don't care. I'm not trying to climb any social ladder or be accepted at the cool kid's table. You never did care. I never did care. And I certainly don't care now because I'm the only one at the table. Right. So it is the cool kids table, but you know, my daughters went through a, a lot of that and the youngest still is, and now she's got a job, you know, she's dancing yeah. with her dance troupe. So, um, finishing up high school, just that's stress, a lot of stress. Yeah. I, I read an article not too long ago that was on a study and they said the stress on kids today is a lot more than the stress when you and I were would have went to school. I, I don't remember feeling stress. I didn't either. Not like these some of the kids do today. And I get it. You know, with the way schools are today, I think they're a little bit more challenging. And I also think you add that social media 
aspect into, into the mix. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a little bit, it's a pretty big mix, right? It's for some of those kids, it's almost their entire being. Yeah. What's going on on TikTok? What's, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's up with the gram? Right. You can't even say Instagram. You just call it the gram. The gram now. Yeah. Apparently. So you, you think about the stress and the anxiety that goes along with all that. Yeah. 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 It's tough. You know, we didn't have social media. There was nobody, uh, that was going to cyber bully me. No. Now somebody might pick a fight with me, try to fight me, sure. but that was going to be in real life. That's right. There's nobody that could sit behind a keyboard and call me names. If someone was going to write something on your wall, they were actually wrote it on your physical wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it's a, it's a different world. Yeah. No doubt. In the months before Lee's disappearance, Beth moved in with her mother who was recently diagnosed with cancer. Barry Frazen told the Portage daily register, that Lee's friend was also sick with cancer. It was difficult for Lee to be away from his mother, and he asked her to move back in. Lee didn't always get along with his stepfather, Barry, so there was tension in the family. You know, it's got to be rough for a kid to have all the stress of school and then also have their grandmother go through cancer, a friend go through cancer. That's a lot to take in. And then I think, you know, on top of that, Living with your stepfather, if you don't get along with that person, you know, without your mom there as a buffer, I could see where that that could be very tough. Well, nobody likes to walk on eggshells. Penny Clobridge, a close family friend and private investigator, told Disappeared that Barry wasn't nice to the boys, assuming that she was talking about Lee and his brother. She also said he was unfaithful and would tell Lee about this. Lee didn't like being involved in family problems because he wanted to feel at peace. He didn't want the tension. He didn't want the fighting and, and all of that. That's what I got. What a strange stepdad to tell his stepchild. If that's true, yeah, yeah. I cheated on your mom, and here's the details. Right. The night before he went missing, Lee spoke with Autumn Rizzio. He didn't say anything you know, out of the ordinary, and he didn't talk about wanting to leave town. Autumn told the Chicago Tribune, I asked him why he's so stressed. I had been worried about him. He said he had no time for himself anymore, that he had been giving his time to everyone else. So this goes back directly to what we said about Lee. He wanted to help everybody else out, but he didn't want to bother anyone with his problems. Yeah. And, you know, I do think at some point, Really, at any point, you kind of got to take care of yourself first. You do. You do. You can't give everything to everybody else because you're just hurting yourself. Yeah, I struggle with that in my own life sometimes. I mm-hmm. really do. You are a very giving person. Yeah. And um, not financially, not, not when it comes to buying dinners and yeah, things don't, like don't that. Crazy. But you are a very thoughtful, giving person. And that's great. It's a great quality. Yeah, yeah. But if you're doing it all the time and you're giving all your energy to everybody else, what's left for you? And and are you making sure that your kind of mental health and you're okay? Yeah, because if you wear that down, then you can't do anything. Anything or be there for the people you want to be there for because Yeah. So you're not you're not good for yourself, but then you yeah. can't be good for anybody else too. Exactly. So it's kind of like what they tell you on the airplane. If the oxygen masks deploy, yeah, put yours on first and then start helping people. 
But you know me, I'd be putting on the people around me first and then put it on myself. Right. And then you've passed out and you can't yeah. help anybody else out. Yeah. Because you're not following directly. But you have yours on because I'll make sure you got it on, man. Knowing me, I'd put mine on and then I'd grab yours and put it on over top just so I had extra, <laughs> extra oxygen. Since you're not, since obviously you don't feel like you need it, Gibby. Yes. I'm going to take yours for now. I'm going to make sure I have extra. So, I mean, I think if we analyze all the information we have so far, what it really shows is that you know while Lee did have friends and family who cared about him, he was extremely stressed about school, his future, and the fact that his grandmother and friend were sick. He had a lot of stressors in his life. On the evening of October 19th, 2007, Lee went to a childhood friend's 18th birthday party at a local restaurant. He played hacky sack outside the restaurant with his friends, it seemed like he was happy and had a good time that evening. You seem like you were probably a hacky sack guy. I tried it one time. Yeah. Just terrible at it. Really? I didn't know people were still doing it in 2007. Yeah. I thought that was like a 1990s thing, but maybe it lasted longer than I thought. I tried it a few times. Did not go well. Later that night, Lee went into his mother's room and asked if he could spend the night at a friend's house. She gave him permission to do so and asked him to call her that night and the next day. Lee hugged his mother, and she later noted that the hug felt longer than usual. And I wonder, in her mind, did it feel longer than usual because she later knew what yeah, what was happened? I don't know, because I get the sense, you know, if if I hug my kids, which you know, we hug a lot, they're normally pretty quick, you yeah. know. But when my kids are hurting, I, I know I'm, uh, I get that extra long hug. They hang on a little bit longer. Yes. Yeah. And so I can tell the difference. Yeah. So she, she might've just felt it differently. I know you don't really appreciate when I hang on too long. No. Mm-mm, Cause you're way too close. Yeah. You're way too close. Lee spent the night with two of his best friends. They played video games and eventually went to bed, but sources don't really say what time around 1230 AM on October 20th. Lee texted a friend who was at the sleepover. He told them he was upset because he felt like he was having trouble fitting in. This friend later said that they weren't particularly concerned by this conversation because it was normal for Lee to worry. Lee's friend assured him that everything would be fine. So that right there is the difference. Sure it is. Because when you and I were growing up, you weren't texting anybody. You sure weren't texting somebody who was at the same sleepover. Yeah, yeah, like two, as you two two chairs over from you. Yeah, and I've seen it firsthand. I've seen kids sitting on the same couch. Oh yeah, text each other when they could literally just turn their head to the side and say whatever it is they want to say, but they don't. I, I've been out to dinner and watched couples sit across from each other. Texting? Yeah. Oh. I don't think, are they texting each other? Because they're not talking. They're, text, they're talking about you. That's you know? why they're texting. Yeah, well, that's probably true. But I can't believe how he's eating that right now. Beth didn't hear from Lee that night, so she called and left him a message. She wasn't too concerned because it was normal for him to sometimes forget to call her. She called again in the morning, but didn't hear back from Lee. According to the Chicago Tribune, at 9.50 a.m., Lee took a friend home and said he was going to work at Rock America, a clothing store at the Hawthorne Center Mall in Vernon Hills. The friend who was with Lee that morning said he recently broke up with his girlfriend 
and described him as quiet during the ride. This same friend also reported that Lee was quiet the night before. Now, I don't know what to make of that because I think a lot of people said he was quiet, he was reserved, but he's saying maybe a little bit more than normal. Okay. Well, I mean, you have a breakup, you know, it's not abnormal to be more reserved. But Lee never showed up for his 12 o'clock shift. Beth was becoming increasingly concerned. As more time passed without hearing from Lee, he wasn't answering any of her calls or texts. In the afternoon, she drove to the mall and learned that Lee didn't come to work. Lee's boss said that he might have thought he was supposed to come in at 5, not 12. Beth said she would call back at 5 to check in. When she called later that afternoon, She learned that Lee hadn't come in or contacted his boss to let her know he couldn't come to work. So, you know, again, we get to this point in every unsolved episode. Yeah. You know, what is the point in time where a parent or someone becomes not just concerned, but alarmed, panicked? And I think this is it. Yeah, I think I would have left that mall very alarmed. And I think Beth did. She started calling friends, but none of them knew where Lee was or had heard from him since the morning. Lee was supposed to attend a bowling event with BBYO around 8 p.m. His family went to the bowling alley and waited for him, but he never showed up. And I think two things here are crucial. Number one's the job. Yeah. Most people don't miss their job. Uh, their shift without at least calling in. But probably even more importantly was this BBYO event. Yeah, his baby, right? That we talked about. His chapter. Yeah, how important this was to him. They knew that he would never miss an event. And this was the point in time when his family decided to go to the police. Beth Frazen called the police at 9.40 p.m. The police interviewed Beth and learned that Lee had a history of mental health issues as well as other stressors in his life. The police searched Lee's bedroom, but didn't find anything out of place, which to them suggested that he left on his own. No foul play. No foul play. I think is what they were saying. Lee's friends reported that he sometimes liked to go out for a drive. So police thought that he might've gone out, just hadn't told anyone Family friend Penny Colbridge reported that Lee sometimes left for the night, but he always called his mother or came home. You know, I know somebody loves doing that, right? It's their stress relief. They got to get in their car. And drive. They drive, turn their music up, mm-hmm. and they'll drive, you know, for an hour. Well, you know, I don't do that now at my age. Yeah. But when I was 17, 18 years old, that was a getaway. You know, and 18 is kind of that really strange age. You're technically an adult, right? but a lot of people are still living with mom and dad. So you've got those rules. That's true. And so maybe, yeah, getting out, you know, in the car, just getting away, being in your own space and you're, you know, in control of everything Yeah, is a good thing. By 11 PM, Lee's friends decided to drive around to some of his favorite hangout spots to look for him. Lee liked to go to the Belvedere Oasis, a commercial rest area to talk to truck drivers. He also liked to go to a specific parking garage to be alone with his thoughts. Okay. Again, we've talked about in many unsolved cases, friends, family kind of driving around to a person's favorite haunts, right? 
just to see if they might be there. Never once, I don't believe, have we ever said that a person's favorite spot is a commercial rest area where they like to talk to truck drivers. Yeah, it's a it's, it's something different. But I tell you what, though, some of these truckers have amazing stories. I was going to say, you're probably going to hear some some really um, really good stories. Yeah. Lee's friends went to a local speedway where an attendant told them that they saw Lee around 10 p.m. that evening. Penny Clobridge asked for their security footage, but they told her they couldn't access it without a manager present. But if you don't know what a speedway is, it's the same thing as a 7-Eleven, a stop and go, or I don't know what else is it. It's a gas station. I don't it's know why you're saying store. all these other things. Yeah. Um, it's a gas station. I don't <laughs> know if they have them everywhere, but where we live, they are everywhere. They are. Yeah. You can't hit an intersection without uh, passing a speedway. Exactly. The next day, investigators learned that the footage had been erased. It was confirmed that an employee did see Lee, but they actually saw him around 10 a.m., not 10 p.m. This meant that Lee dropped his friend off, went to the speedway, and then was unaccounted for the rest of the day. It's not uncommon for the video feed to be erased, though, right? Well, I'm assuming you're asking me because I used to run a bunch of gas stations. Right. The problem that I have is the the time here. What are we, 2007? Yeah. My thought is by then they probably would have been digital because when I did it, it was the 1990s. We were still using VHS tapes. We basically had one VHS tape for every day. Okay. And so the recording somehow compressed the whole 24 hours onto one VHS tape. But to me, it would be very strange to record over and it doesn't even say record over. It just says erase. Right. That's very odd. It is odd. I thought but. to me, because even in, in 1990s, when I was doing it, we would have had at least a week's worth. Now, if the police came two weeks later, out of luck, out of luck with the way that, that we did it. Now, I don't know what they have today, but with everything being digital and storage being what it is, I would assume they they probably keep it for quite some time. Probably on the cloud. I don't know how. Yeah. Whatever the cloud is. Yeah. Your surveillance equipment here is pretty high tech. It is. And that's just the stuff you know about. Well, that's true. <laughs> the stuff you don't know about is even more high tech. Yeah. I, I noticed that that one time I was in your bathroom and took those extra rolls of toilet paper. Somehow you knew about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how. And I do think that Lee's case was somewhat unique. It's come out before. Typically, the police don't always start searching for adults right away. Lee was 18, but he had just turned 18 two and a half weeks before he went missing. But because of his history of mental illness, Lee met the criteria for an endangered missing child over the age of 18, something I've, I've never heard of before. A teletype message to all police departments in the area was sent out so that they could help look for Lee. During another search of Lee's room, his family found a mug he used to store money was missing. This mug was believed to have held anywhere from five to $800. And I think this was another indication that people felt, including the authorities, that you know Lee left voluntarily. 
Yeah, they took his uh, five ne- nest egg nest egg with him and yep. went off. Now, if that's true or not, we don't know. And if it is true, for what reason? And that's you know things that we'll be exploring. The police looked at Lee's phone records. They saw that he last used his phone around twelve thirty a.m. on October twentieth when he texted his friend, and that the phone had died or been powered off because it wasn't pinging off any cell tower. Around 3.30 a.m. on October 22nd, 2007, a sheriff's deputy in Sauk County, Wisconsin, saw an abandoned 2007 Toyota Corolla parked at a wayside off Highway 33 near the city of Baraboo. This is almost 200 miles from Lee's home. The deputy checked the car's registration and saw that the vehicle belonged to Lee Cutler, a missing person in Illinois. The deputy contacted the Buffalo Grove PD. So, you know, we said that he liked to go out for a drive. Yeah. Whether that was to clear his head, to be alone, whatever it was, I'm assuming a normal drive was not 400 miles round trip. Right. You know, that's... That's a long... Long trip. Yeah, that, that's not a, a clear-your-head type of drive. That's almost three hours in one direction. That's a long trip. Mm-hmm. Investigators checked out the car and saw no signs of a struggle or foul play. The car was parked properly and locked. The deputy stayed in the area and watched the car in case someone returned, but no one ever did. Lee's parents drove to Baraboo to search for him. So, you know, I think this is important too, right? They found the car and, you know, this is not like a scene from that movie Road Trip where they try to jump that and the car essentially almost falls apart. Right. Uh, This is not this situation. Not at all. You know, it means something. Yeah. When the car is not parked haphazardly, it's not you know, unlocked. There's not stuff left on the seat. It doesn't appear as though someone had to get out real quick and make a getaway. Yeah. It seems like it was parked where it was on purpose. Yeah. Deliberately. Deliberately. And then locked up and then somebody walked away. That same day, authorities started an air and ground search in the area between Baraboo and Portage, Wisconsin. Officers on the ground found a makeshift campsite about 75 to 100 yards away from Lee's car, near the banks of the Baraboo River. At this campsite, they found a backpack and some blankets. Lee's family confirmed that the items belonged to him. So, I mean, it doesn't seem that hard to figure out. He drove there. Sure. He parked. He walked down by the river and... Made camp. Made camp. But then what happened, right? That's the question. Sure. We've gotten this far. It doesn't seem as though, you know, he was under duress up to this point. But obviously, something happened. And where is he? Oh, yeah. And that's the overriding big question. On the morning of October 23rd, Lee's mother appeared on local TV to ask her son to come home. The Baraboo News Republic quoted her as saying, I love you, Lee. I want you to be home. I have a void in my heart. This is just killing me. She also said that she wanted other teenagers to know how leaving home can affect their families. I want the kids to know how horrible this is. If you don't think you're loved, you're loved. Yeah, she's hurting, obviously. Yeah, she's hurting. And and but the other thing that this makes me think about is 
you know, a kid like Lee who seemed from the reporting to have a good relationship with his mother. You just don't think that he would just go off and leave and not contact her at all. Make her worry. Right. Um, I always think about that. I mean, we said how he was the type of person that would do anything for anybody. Always wanted to take care of others. So you think that that would be part of his process with his mom. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, people leaving voluntarily, getting away, getting off the grid, whatever you want to call it. You know, one of the things that always enters my mind is if you have a situation like this, what would be the harm in calling your mom and saying, mom, I just can't deal with it. I I'm leaving, but I'm okay. Don't try to find me. Yeah. I'm starting a new life. You know, how does that hurt you in any way to do that? And then your mom's not going to be hurting quite as bad. She's still going to be hurting because you're leaving. But, and I think that's part of the reason why for the most part, I tend to kind of lean away from the left voluntarily, um, type of aspect that plus the fact of how hard I think it would be to live off the grid in 2007 and, and, you know, now in 2023, very difficult. The Saw County Sheriff's department dive and rescue team started searching the river the same day on October 24th. The police announced that some of Lee's clothing was found near the banks of the river near the location where his backpack was found. Lee's yarmulke, a very important item to him, was also found on the riverbank. All right, so we have more information. We do. We can theorize a little bit more. He gets near the river. He makes camp. He decides to go for a swim, possibly, takes off his clothing, gets in, something happens. An accident, hits his head, whatever it is. That's a possible theory now. That is based on the evidence. But what concerned authorities the most were letters written to and from family members and an empty bottle of sleep medication inside Lee's backpack. They found notebooks and notes from Lee's ex-girlfriend. So clearly in his backpack, on his possession, he had important things to him. He had important things to him. Probably what jumped out the most I would think to authorities was this empty bottle of sleep medication. Yeah. Because you know, now you're, you're leading down the territory of possible self-harm. You're near this body of water. You got to factor that in and the letters and the notes to and from the ex-girlfriend, you're going to combine them and say, okay, he's heartbroken He took all these pills. Now what? Now what? Yeah. According to a grunge article, they also found a note written to Beth that said, my head is too big for my body. Finally, I will get to sleep. I'm sorry for being a coward. I love you, mom. Please be happy. Boy, if that's true, does it mean anything though? Does it mean that that note was for that moment or was it something that he wrote? At one point when he was contemplating hurting himself. Yeah. I don't know if there's a a way for anyone to know exactly when it was written, but I think if you say it was written, you know, 
recently, maybe even at the campsite, you would have to think that it has something to do with the sleep medication. And you would have to look at it as a type of suicide note. And I think some individuals do believe that's what it was. And I can see why, you know, people would draw that conclusion, you know, given the context and all the the things that we've talked about. And the authorities thought that too, right? They believed that this note sounded like a suicide note, but Lee's family disagreed. As we mentioned previously, Lee used writing as a way to express himself. Autumn Rizzio told Disappeared he always wrote so that he would understand it and other people won't. That was his style of writing. You know, there's a lot to be said about my writing style as well, Mm -hmm. that really I'm the only one that can figure out what I'm writing. Right, but that's not on purpose. You're not not doing that purposefully. No. That's just the way you write. It's just bad. (laughs) It's just bad grammar. (laughs) Bad grammar. Authorities noted that Lee's car was very low on gas, even though he passed several gas stations on the way to Baraboo, which further led them to believe Lee didn't intend on driving past the Highway 33 stop. There was also no evidence of foul play to indicate he was attacked or forced into the woods. And, you know, this is a point that we do make in some cases, or at least we bring up. Now, sometimes it's why would somebody, you know, buy a whole refrigerator full of groceries if they knew they were going to do something, harm themselves, or just, you know, take off and leave. I think what they're looking at here is possibly saying Lee knew that he didn't need gas because he wasn't, he wasn't intending on driving any further than, than he ultimately did. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've passed many gas stations thinking, Oh, I got plenty, you know, I got plenty or there'll be one, another one up ahead. And then all of a sudden there's not. Yeah. Now he didn't run out of gas. No. So we're not in that situation, but it was just said he was low on gas. Yeah. And we've both been there where we've coasted in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes when we try to Kramer it and it doesn't uh, work out. Additionally, an empty bottle of Advil PM and Coracidin, a cold medication, were found near Lee's campsite. There was only one Advil tablet lying on the ground near the bottle. Lee's family reported that he had taken Advil PM for years because he had trouble sleeping. The police were worried because combining cold medication with Advil PM can be very dangerous. It could be. It says it on the label. I mean. But who reads those labels? I know I don't. Besides the one time I did. On the 24th, the cadaver dog came to the area to search the river. But the authorities said the dog was only being used to help eliminate the possibility of Lee's body being in the river. A search of Lee's car revealed some valuable information. Clothing was found inside the car, as well as a school-assigned copy of the book Into the Wild. The police found a receipt from the Kettle Moraine State Park, printed at 1.41 p.m. on October 20th. Private investigator Penny Clobridge called the state park and learned that Wisconsin residents could get into the park for $7. The regular admission price was $10. Lee's receipt showed that he paid $7, which led some people to speculate that he was traveling with someone who was local. Yeah, it could have. Or maybe 
the person that was working the booth said, ah, you look like a high school kid. I'll give you the discount. Or maybe he just asked him if he was a resident. And he said, yeah. And he didn't have to show proof. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, the problem that we have with so many cases like this is you have this piece of information, but what does it conclusively mean? And, and sometimes you just don't know. It's only as good as the, as the person that handed the receipt. Did they stick hardcore to their job and say, oh, sorry, you got to pay the higher fee. I know. Or you have to show ID yeah. or, or whatever. Authorities also found a receipt for both medicines that showed it was purchased at a Walmart in Madison, Wisconsin. Detectives watched surveillance footage from this Walmart. Lee was seen on camera on October 20th, four hours after he left Buffalo Grove. He was seen walking in and out of the store wearing clothing that matched his last known description. He was alone in the footage, which I think to some maybe has discredited the theory that he was traveling, you know, with someone else. According to the Baraboo News Republic, the state park has two units. One is near Whitewater, which is directly between Buffalo Grove and Baraboo. One is north of Cedarburg, a city north of Milwaukee. Barry Frazen told the paper that Lee had an ex-girlfriend from Cedarburg, but he had no friends or family living in Baraboo. Lee had been to the Baraboo area with friends before, but his family wasn't sure why he would want to go there a second time. It's not really a ringing endorsement of Baraboo. I'm sure that's not what they put on their uh, their visitor sign. Not sure why anybody would want to come here a second time. Not sure why you want to come here a second time, but come on back anyway, because Baraboo is where it's at. Uh, I don't know why I used my southern accent when I, I do that either. either. I don't either. But uh, I was thinking about when he was in the Walmart and they said that he bought, they had receipts for his medicine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they said they found the bottle and he had one pill, I thought, well, that could that could be anything, right? I mean, he could have brought it from home. And only had two or three, yeah. yes. But now that we know that he actually bought it on the 20th and there was only one left, what does that mean? That means a bunch of them went somewhere. Yeah. We just don't know where. We don't know where. But again, it, it, it's those things, right? You can speculate. And I think you would be speculating from a really good position. Yeah, I think you could. Based on the fact that it was a full bottle. And I don't know how many pills were in the bottle, but I'm sure there were quite a few. Now there's only one left. Detectives established a timeline of Lee's movements on October 20th based on the evidence from the car at 10 a.m. Lee was seen at the Speedway in Buffalo Grove. Three hours later, he stopped at the Walmart in Madison. Just 23 minutes later, he arrived at the state park. Then he drove 100 miles to Baraboo. On Friday, October 26th, divers found a pair of khaki pants clinging to a branch in the river 300 yards downstream from where Lee's backpack and blankets were. Investigators also found Lee's wallet, ID, some cash, and his car keys. So they're finding a lot of Lee's stuff, but they're not finding the most important Lee. Yeah, but this pair of khaki pants clinging to a branch. Now, I don't know if the branch was hanging down over the water, like, you know, the pants would have floated down and got caught. Yeah. Or if they were kind of more up on the bank and somebody, you know, would have taken off the pants and and put them on there. 
one scenario is a much worse sign, I think. But again, I don't know. By October 30th, the ground, air, and dive team searches had ended, but the sheriff's department said they would continue to patrol the river for clues about Lee's disappearance. Although the evidence suggested that Lee decided to take his life, there was no way to confirm this without finding his body. Daniel DeGrazia, a family friend, told the Baraboo News Republic that Lee's notes did not specifically mention suicide. He didn't rule out a scenario where Lee went to the river intending to end his own life, but decided not to. The sheriff told DeGrazia that he could not recall a case where the authorities knew someone was in the river and couldn't find their body. The Baraboo River is full of obstacles like large trees and branches, which would make it difficult for a body or other large object to float downstream without getting caught. Captain Kevin Fultz told the Chicago Tribune, nothing could pass through it unless maybe a fish. So that's saying if he did go in the water, we should be able to find him. Yes. And I think this description of the river is vital because without it, you know, you kind of think of a river as being more open. Sure. Yeah. There's things that you could catch on, but this makes it sound like it's a jungle down there with large objects, branches, um, just no way that this body, if there was a body could float downstream. Divers searched the stretch of the river where Lee's belongings were found. They also searched three miles beyond some fallen trees that were obstructing the river. They found nothing. This led to two more theories about what might have happened to Lee. Obviously, the first theory being that he ended his life sure. there by the river. One theory is that Lee left his home to start a new life. Two interstates, I-90 and I-94, are about 7 to 10 miles from Highway 33, where Lee's car was found, it's possible that Lee got a ride with a truck driver, which would allow him to get far away relatively quickly. It was said that hitchhiking is pretty common in the Baraboo area, according to a local police officer. And as mentioned previously, Lee liked talking to truckers. Yeah, maybe he befriended one or two or who, how many and said, hey, I'd like to just start my life over. And maybe one of them said, you know what? Where you want to go, I'll take you there. And I'll meet you here yeah. at this designated time. So if that were the case, then what does the the makeshift campsite mean? Does that mean he was hanging out there until the designated time? Or was that to throw off everyone, right? I bought the pills. I emptied them out to make it look as though I took them all right. People are going to think that, you know, I took my life, but really I hopped in the truck and I'm, you know, on the other side of the country. Lee's favorite books were into the wild and catcher in the Rye. Both books feature themes about young men who struggle to fit in into the wild is a story about a young man who travels to the Alaska wilderness and tragically dies. Lee loved hiking and being out in nature so, I mean, I think a lot of people have wondered whether it could have been possible that he felt inspired to try to have his own kind of survivalist adventure in the woods 
and he chose Baraboo because he had been to the area before. Very good uh, movie, Into the Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good book, too. Yeah, I wouldn't know. No, I know you don't read books, but you yeah. do watch the movies. It's uh, it's interesting how much Catcher in the Rye comes up I in know. in true crime cases. It comes up so many times. Now, it is a very popular book. And then, you know, when you think about the theme of both of these books, right? Young men who are struggling to fit in. Okay. You could make that argument about a lot of serial killers and maybe, or killers. And, and maybe that's why they're so often found um, in possession of, of Catcher in the Rye. Which concerns me because as I sit here and I overlook your bookcase, there's seven copies of Catcher in the Rye. Not one, mm-hmm. not two, but seven. Yes. And I find that very strange. And they all look like they've been leafed through. Hmm. There was eight. Oh, okay. But you don't know why that one's gone. I don't know. But, you know, this is a theory. Again, theories are what they are. Exactly. You know, people have a lot of theories. Now, I think you could put, you know, a couple of these together. This survivalist adventure theory wouldn't have necessarily had to have anything to do with Baraboo. He still could have met uh, one of his trucker friends there. Could have gone somewhere else to have this survivalist adventure and live off the land and off the grid and all of that. My problem with those is always that you don't surface ever. And then you know, for me, it's been what, 16 years. So I feel as though he would have called his mom or he would have contacted someone at some point, right? At some point I get it. You want to go off. You want to be by yourself. It's, it's, I think it's just why I, I tend to dismiss those. I can't completely rule them out, but I don't lean into them heavily because that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Another theory is that Lee moved to Israel. Lee first expressed his interest in moving after he attended a cousin's wedding in Jerusalem in 2005. He specifically wanted to join the Israeli Defense Forces. According to Penny Clobridge, Lee asked her if she would talk to his mother on his behalf because he wanted to join the IDF when he graduated high school. Beth was afraid that Lee would be involved in combat If he joined the IDF, Lee had told her that he wanted to join and she couldn't stop him because he was an adult. She agreed they could research it together and they requested some information. Beth never received anything in the mail, but she did note that Lee checked the mail every day before she got home from work. So this has led many to the question, is it possible that Lee picked up a brochure or other information and hid it from his mom? It's possible. It's possible, but here's, you know, again, if we're poking holes in in theories, the problem I have with this one is there would have to be some type of record you would think of him leaving the country. And probably some type of record with him belonging to the IDF. Yeah. It seems like that would be easy to check out. And there were no records of Lee boarding a flight or leaving the country, so... It just makes this one seem pretty unlikely, and him, also, him moving to Israel. Yeah, you're right. And I think at this point, if he did do that, after going through training and being this military person, mm-hmm. 
that he would reach out. To I was going to say, why not reach out? Yeah, he he would have you know found a different maturity level at that point and said, "Hey, guess what? Yeah, guess where I'm at." You know, again, a good kid by all accounts is going to make his mother and and friends and stuff worry about him for what sixteen years now. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to to fit. I don't think he would want to torture his mom like that. No, I, I don't either. The next best leads are reported sightings in different parts of the country. Penny Clowbridge, director of investigations with ETS Investigative Services in Wilmette, Illinois, told the Baraboo News Republic in November 2007 that she was still awaiting further information from the police, but she was informed that they had two tips from people who think they saw Lee while driving on Highway 33. One person reported seeing a light brown Pontiac Bonneville parked with Lee's Corolla. That person also said Lee might have been talking on a cell phone. Okay, it's a lead. It is, but you know, th- this is something else we see in so many unsolved cases, right? Sightings from all over the country. It becomes known at some point that all of them can't be correct, right? Because right. they're in different areas of the country at the same time. You know, how do police verify? And is there a way to do it? You think you saw this person, but how do you verify that it was actually him? Right. Now, if this one is true, then you you have to start to think about, okay, who was in this Pontiac Bonneville? What were their intentions? You know, did they pull some type of hey, help, can you can you give me a hand? Can you give me a jump? Knowing what we know about Lee, he would have wanted to help. Right. And then maybe something, they took advantage, something bad happened. Or maybe that person was intentionally there. Maybe it wasn't a trucker. Yeah. Or maybe it was a trucker, he just didn't have his truck. Well, there you go. <laughs> maybe it was just somebody at Pontiac Bonneville that whisked him away somewhere else. But again, I'm not high on that theory. In February 2008, Commander Steve Husack of the Buffalo Grove PD announced that the investigation became inactive when it appeared no crime was committed. Lee was added to a national database for missing and exploited children, which also includes adults between the ages of 18 and 21, as well as the FBI national database for missing persons. Lee's case was featured on the show Disappeared in February 2010 after the episode first aired. The NCMEC and America's Most Wanted Hotlines received about 10 tips. According to Buffalo Grove investigator Tara Romanow, one tip reported a young man matching Lee's description at a Texas gas station. There were also reported sightings in Wisconsin and Alaska, but there were no solid leads. Another sighting occurred in Nevada where painters reported a young man matching Lee's description watched them work. Penny Clowbridge found a local shelter in this area and gave their information to Beth, but there really have been no updates after this. And you are going to get tips, right? When a case is profiled on a show, whether it's disappeared, America's most wanted, you know, any of these types of shows. But again, how do you validate them? I will say the one tip, in Alaska is a little interesting because it plays into the into the wild book. That's true. You know, if he was so into this book, 
and he was going to go somewhere to kind of live a survivalist lifestyle. What better place than Alaska? It's the ultimate survival to get away. Yeah. Lee Cutler would be in his thirties today. Lee is a white male, six foot tall with light brown hair, brown eyes, and a small bump on his upper lip. The police are not sure what happened to Lee Cutler after he parked his car off Highway 33 because his body was never found. They cannot say with certainty that Lee took his own life. They can't say with certainty that he's not alive. That's true. If you have any information about Lee Cutler's whereabouts, you can contact the Buffalo Grove Police Department at 847-459-2560. So, you know, Gibbs, as we wrap this one up, there is a lot going on here. And at the same time, there's very little of substance, if that makes sense. It does make sense. You know, you can talk theories and what ifs about a lot of different things and you can take them in, in a lot of different directions, but when it comes to really anything in the way of solid evidence or solid leads, there's just so very little other than they know he was at a gas station at 10 in the morning. They know he was at Walmart and then they know he was at this, um, campsite right by the river in Baraboo. Other than that, what do they know? They, they don't. And I think you have to be careful jumping to a conclusion. Oh, I think so as well. Now, I do believe that probably most people think that he went to this spot and he ended his life. Yeah. You know, based on the two medications, the fact that there was only one of the, the Advil PMs left, it's an easy conclusion to make. But it doesn't mean it's right. Exactly. Spot on. And really, you can kind of poke holes in almost every one of the theories. You can. Right? So if he ended his life, where's his body? They're saying there's no way that his body floats down the river. Okay. They dove. They checked it. Checked multiple places. They should have found it. And they actually went down further down the river than they Needed to. Or, needed to just to make sure yeah. what they were saying is correct. So so you have that issue. And then I go back to if it's a scenario where he just wanted to get away. Yeah. And for whatever reason, those scenarios are plausible. I just don't understand why someone would do it and then never contact their family. Yeah. Because I just don't see the downside in doing so. The upside is... Your family no longer is heartbroken and worried. You, you've relieved some of that yeah. by letting them know you're okay. doesn't make sense for somebody like him. No, it, yeah. it does. Now, if you hated your family, you had like this strained relationship, you never wanted to see them again, and you didn't care That's how, another story. how your leaving affected them, that would be a, a, another story. That's not what I'm getting from Lee Cutler. That's, that's not who right. he was. This is a person who went out of his way to help everyone. I think sometimes at the expense of his own well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're telling me he's not going to allay the fears and anxiety of his mother. Yeah. I think he'd want to give her comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So that one is tough. And then, you know, obviously one that we really haven't talked about is that, 
you know, he could have made this trip to Baraboo, set up the makeshift camp as kind of like a mini survivalist thing. I could right. see somebody doing that. Sure. You know, I'm going to test my metal, but I'm not, I'm not in the wilds of Alaska. I'm by the side of a river in Wisconsin. Yeah. If I need to get somewhere, I can get there. Yeah. I'll just go back to the car and drive home. But something happened there and you could envision a scenario, or at least I can envision a scenario where if somebody wanted to do harm to this individual, to Lee Cutler, and they found some of what he had with him, the letters. Yeah. Okay. Some of these things kind of made it seem as though he had possible designs on ending his life. They could have taken the Advil PM and chucked most of it in the river. They could have. And really kind of staged the scene to make it look as though he ended his life. You know, they, they could have placed the clothes where they were. They could have even went downstream and put the khakis. I'm, you know, again, if we're talking theories, you, you might as well throw it all out sure, there. Why not? It's all plausible. Because we don't have evidence to support or really disprove any of them. We don't. So how is one not as valid as the next? But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a very vexing case. It is. I will say that. It is. Because nobody, he never has resurfaced. He's never contacted anyone. So what happened? And I, I think this is one where... You know, listeners will have to put their detective hat on and kind of come to their own conclusion to what is the most likely scenario or outcome to them, because that's really all we can do. But that's it for our episode on the disappearance of Lee Cutler. Gibbs, we've got some voicemails. You want to check them out? Yes, hear them. Hey, guys, it's Oliver from Stockbridge again. I called about 21 weeks ago now because I found out I was pregnant and I didn't have anyone to tell because my husband wasn't home yet. So I felt like it was only fair to update you guys and let you know that I'm 21 weeks pregnant with a very healthy baby boy. So I don't know. You guys were the first people I told, so I felt like these deserve some kind of update. So everything's gone really well over here, and I hope you guys are going really well, and I hope your families are really well, and stay safe and keep you on time tickets. Man, that's great news about Mike Jr. <laughs> Mike Jr. So, yeah, I love that voicemail. I can't believe it's been five months. Yeah. Because it, it seems like last month it, when she yeah. called. But it's so cool to get an update. And I'm not sure if we played the original one on TCAT or Unsolved. I can't remember either. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm expecting uh, a, another call down the road Yeah, saying... Uh, Mike Jr.'s been born. That Mike Jr.'s been born. Yeah. And he came out with a full handlebar mustache. Oh, that'd be awesome. Hi, Mike and Gibby. This is Ashley. I have been listening to you guys for a few years, and I just love you and love the way you tell stories and joke with each other. You're so much fun. Um, I've never called before, so this is kind of fun, but I was listening to the Lisa Al on the True Crime um, All the Time Unsolved, and you were talking about, you know, if you're being followed by a police officer, you're getting pulled over and you don't feel safe, what would you do? Could you continue on, go to a safer area, but maybe risk getting a ticket? 
And I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but I know where I live, not only is it perfectly legal, but it's also highly encouraged by our police department that if you're ever getting pulled over, but you don't feel safe or you feel like something's fishy, you drive to the nearest police station and park there. Chances are that if, you know, obviously if it's somebody who's not a police officer, they're just going to keep on driving. And if it really was a police officer, he will understand and be perfectly fine with you doing that because it's all about safety, um, especially women, obviously, and younger girls driving. want to make sure everybody's feeling safe and protected and it's perfectly fine to do so so just wanted to pass that along like i said i don't know if it's everywhere but it's definitely in my area and if it's not it should be everywhere because it just makes good common sense all right love you guys peace out i always drive to a Dunkin' donuts mm-hmm. because you i figure there's going to be police officers and i there. say yeah and i say hey listen that's so wrong why don't we come in and have a coffee and a donut and talk about this i'll treat and you know that's hard for me to do that is so you know i appreciate that voicemail so much But what she said is the problem that you and I have. We do cases all over the country. We do cases all over the world. But there's no way for us to know each and every little law and state law, jurisdiction, all that stuff. So I don't know if that is something that's allowed everywhere. But like she said, to me, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I also think in a situation like that, if you have a cell phone, I think you could call 911 and say, I'm being followed. It seems to be a police officer. They should be able to quickly identify if you actually are being followed by a police officer being asked to pull over. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to be able to look in their system and find that find that out. I don't maybe not 911. I was going to say, is that a 911 yeah, worthy I don't know about call. that, but maybe call whatever that police Okay, but then you're going to get busted for looking that up on your phone. Oh, man, that's right. That's another ticket. So now you're going to, well, you're going to have to Siri it or oh, yeah. whatever it's called. Yeah, that's true. So, All right, don't take that advice from me. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to get people in trouble. Yeah. But Go to the Dunkin' Donuts or the police station. I, I do like the idea. And I would and have told my girls the same thing. Yeah. You know, if you think something's not right, if you have any questions, don't be afraid to go, you know, to some like you said, someplace that's crowded, yeah. a police station's great if you know where it is. If you get pulled over in your hometown, okay, that's not too hard. Yeah. But You know, third option is just to go for the state line. <laughs> See if you can make it. Yeah. That's the Gibby option. That's right. Hey, Mike. Hey, Gibby. I just wanted to leave you guys a voicemail telling you uh, that you guys are my favorite podcast, like, ever. I have been binging True Crime all the time and True Crime Unsolved. And I, I was going to buy some of your merch for my 16th birthday this uh, Thursday, April 27th. I just thought I'd call in and you guys that you were great and I love you. This is Damien, by the way. Bye. Well, happy birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday. Appreciate the, the kudos. Awesome to get merch for your birthday. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just very, very cool. All right, buddy. That is it for another episode of True Crime All the Time Unsolved. So for Mike and Gibby, stay safe and keep your own time ticking.
See what's screaming all month long during Pluto TV's April Ghouls. Watch hauntingly good movies like Evil Dead and Cloverfield or terrifying shows like The Walking Dead and Nosferatu. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows. Available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.